Side Hustle Show 128, building a six-figure online store on the side. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now your host, Nick Loper. What's up, what's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where it's all about ideas, action, and results. This is the 128th edition of our Humble Program, and we're talking about the steps to take to build a six-figure online store on the side. And I think that's the craziest part. My guest today, despite a super successful online business, despite a very profitable blog, is still working a corporate job in Silicon Valley. I think that's crazy, but he says he wants to keep his pulse on the industry. <laughs> and I'm still, I would say he's got a pretty good perspective on what's going on. My guest is the co-founder of BumblebeeLinens.com. It's an e-commerce business supplying uh, personalized wedding handkerchiefs and more than 300 other fine linen products. He blogs and podcasts about e-commerce at the popular site MyWifeQuitHerJob.com. Love that domain. I'm excited to introduce Steve Chu to Side Hustle Nation. Stick around to hear Steve's advice on how to get started, um, You know how to start a successful e-commerce side hustle. And this conversation is sure to get your idea gears spinning. And as is per the usual, I've prepared a free PDF download with all uh, my notes and highlights, links, along with Steve's top tips. You can grab your copy at sidehustlenation.com slash 128. Let's do this. Hey, Steve, welcome to the Side Hustle Show. How's it going, Nick? Doing, uh, doing excellent. Excited to dive into this stuff on uh, how to create an online store because uh, Steve over at MyWifeQuitHerJob.com has an incredible depth of content on this topic. I was diving in uh, to some of it in, in preparation for this chat. But where I want to start it off is you know, that the, the very first step is probably coming up with a product idea. Okay, I've convinced myself that I want to get into e-commerce. I see this as the wave of the future. I want to get my piece of the pie. But where, am I, where do I start in kind of coming up with what, an idea of what to sell? Yeah, I think um, before you even get that far, you kind of have to figure out what your business model is going to be okay. and how much you're willing to invest. If you kind of want the hands-off version where you don't carry inventory and that sort of thing, you basically have two options. Uh, one, you can drop ship. And I'm not sure if your listeners are familiar with that. Um, it's where basically you go and you contact vendors and you take the orders and the money and do the customer support and someone else does the shipping. Uh, another way to do it is with Amazon FBA, which is very popular right now, yes. which is where you send your items to Amazon, and they're listed on Amazon, Amazon does all the fulfillment. So which one do you want to tackle first? Well, let's go down the, down the Bumblebee Linens path and okay. say, you know, how did this thing uh, get started in terms of like, setting up my own, my own e-commerce store? Like The Amazon stuff is, is awesome, and that's a huge market to tap into. And, and like you mentioned, there's no reason why you can't do both. Uh, let's start with building, uh, you know, building our own platform. Yeah, so, I mean, I can tell you how we started. Uh, way back in the day, um, my wife was looking for handkerchiefs because she wanted to, she knew she was going to cry at our wedding. <laughs> okay. And uh, we couldn't find any of these handkerchiefs anywhere except for Asia. And so we ended up importing a bunch of these, using only a handful and selling those on eBay. And so when it came time to start our own online store, we kind of got back in touch with that vendor. 
Uh, we knew they could sell because we had sold a bunch on eBay and they sold very consistently there. So we used kind of eBay as a validation platform. Okay. So that when we decided to launch our store, we knew things were going to sell as long as we could get the traffic there. So in, in this case, coming up with the product idea was just a personal need. Say, hey, this is something that I would love to have for my wedding in my own life, but I can't find it locally. So maybe there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's some white space in the market there. Like how yeah. do you recommend for people who you know just kind of observing things in their own life or trying to figure out what, uh, what they could sell? Yeah, so that was actually our first set of products. Today we have over 450 SKUs. Wow. So I could kind of go over some of the processes that we use. And Sure. Yeah, so uh, first thing we like to do, we get about one-third of our traffic from search for our online store. So we like to use Longtail Pro for keyword research, find out what people are searching for, look for keywords that are not that competitive and kind of easy to rank with a little bit of content. So that's definitely one way to do it. Uh, I mentioned that you know we sold on eBay early on to kind of validate our niche, okay. but there's actually tools out there like Terapeak that kind of scrape all the eBay listings, and you can pretty much type in something and get very detailed sales reports of anything that sells on eBay. And uh, if you're looking to sell on Amazon, there's a whole bunch of tools. Like Amazon kind of exposes their seller rank. There's a bunch of tools that do pretty accurate predictions of revenue depending on what you want to sell as well. Okay. So those are three ways to do it. You're looking at existing products that are selling to try and piggyback on those, or you're trying to come up with something completely innovative and new? Yeah, so what I like to do is I always like to find something that I can do a better job of. So in addition to finding the actual niche, I do a detailed analysis of the competition, and I make sure that I can do a better job at whatever I'm trying to sell is. Okay, and so it's the combination of those two factors. So looking looking at what else is out there, and this is something like you mentioned, Longtail Pro, and this is something that Spencer has mentioned in terms of like building niche sites. Like, okay, I'm going to look at this particular keyword. I'm going to look at who's in the top ten, and then I'm going to say I can definitely build better content than what they have. So similar, and it's not just that, but I mean, yeah, you look at the top ten, and you look at the shopping experience, you look at their sites, you look at the variety of stuff that they carry, and you just make sure that you can do a better job. Okay. And then once you have that product idea, are you then, like, is, is the next step to, like, try and source it, try and find a manufacturer for it? Yeah, I mean, it, it really depends on what you want to do. Um, in our case, we manufacture all of our own goods. Okay. And so the next step is to go, at, go out and look. A lot of people have used Alibaba, and we've used Alibaba in the past, but for us, we, we, we got two kids and I work full-time. We don't have a whole lot of time. So usually we like to just encapsulate all of it in a trip to China. So we, we go to the Canton Fair every other year. Okay. And what's nice about that is all the vendors are just all right there. And you have a list of things that you're looking for and you just go to all the areas that carry this stuff. Okay. Okay. Wow. That's a, that's a commitment and a half. One thing, so I was looking on uh, Terra Peak the other day. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of following like the startup bros process. Uh-huh. And so so one of these products that has it has a very is a very small market but had great margins and it was interesting was like these state magnets, kind of like fifty state magnets and they had like, you know, kind of a so Washington had like the evergreen state and it like marked Olympia as the capital and had like a tree and like the outline of the state. So yeah, this is kind of cool, like a cool like kind of educational toy and stuff. And the Terra Peak data said 
hey, you know, the market is not very big, but these things are selling, they are moving, and they're commanding pretty decent price because you can get these things for, you know, five cents a piece, and then you sell the, this full set of 50 for like 45 bucks. Like, okay, I'm, I'm listening. And then when I went on Alibaba to the, to the original listing that I found, like, this is the actual picture they have in the thing. And then I send them a note, and they're like, well, what design do you want? I'm like, I want the one that's in the picture. And they're in there, like, had no idea. Or what thickness do you want? And it's like, just, you have the picture. Like, it was kind of weird. Like, it was a weird conversation. Do you have that kind of issue? Like, do you have to be prepared, like, with your full, like, spec? Like, this is exactly what I want? Or do, do most of the vendors or most of the manufacturers have, like, hey, this is what we produce? So that that actually happens all the time, Nick, and it really depends on what type of company that you're dealing with on Alibaba. A lot of those guys, they just post pictures. Sometimes they're just ripping off pictures from other people, okay, like the smaller guys. Sometimes those guys had produced that product at one point for a customer and just decided to post that picture on their site, even mm. though they don't really make that on a regular basis. Okay, okay. And so that stuff tends to happen all the time, and so. It really depends what you want to do. Like, if you want to keep your minimum order quantities low, which most people want to do in the beginning, sometimes these vendors have stuff in stock. Like, it might be left over from a different run or whatnot. And usually you can get those at pretty cheap at low quantities. But I would say that if you want to make your own thing from scratch, then the quantities will tend to be higher unless you can kind of piggyback on someone else's run. Okay, I gotcha. Now, are you you shipping all this stuff, like, to your house and fulfilling orders like from your from your garage? No, 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 no. We got an office space and we got two full time employees um, packing and fulfilling orders. Let's go back to the product selection part of it. So, did mm-hmm. you do research on like uh, profit margins on these things? Like, hey, what can we? So, you're selling them on eBay. Um, mm-hmm. So, you kind of idea of like what they, you know, what they were worth on the market, and then you you had an idea on how much they cost to manufacture because you were you kind of shipped in. Um, 100 from now where did you source those the, that original shipment was that no, those are from china yeah was it alibaba it was not actually um i think we found this vendor i'm trying to remember maybe it was through random googling and then later on we actually went to china to the canton fair to find the the rest of our vendors okay okay in terms of pricing on ebay in the beginning, we were just trying to get rid of these things because we weren't trying to go into business. So we just set the auctions off really low, I think for like a buck because we were just trying to get rid of them. And it turns out they kept getting bidded up. Mm. And so I was like, oh, okay, you can ch- easily check the completed listing pricings on a, a tool like Terapeak for that. Yeah, and even yeah, so Terapeak has a seven day free trial, and even you can just you know search a keyword and and check the and check the. It's so cheap. I think yeah. it's like fifteen bucks a month or something like that. I mean. I guess I'm still like I'm looking around my living room looking for product inspiration, and you guys came upon a, a good hit, and then have been able to kind of diversify the product line to all sorts of fabric linen <laughs> linen products. Uh-huh. Like, is that kind of a a strategy you think is replicable? Like, kind of yeah, in the startup bros guys call it like your beachhead product. It's like I'm gonna go into the fitness market, and you know these compression socks, for example, are going to be my you know, my first inroads into this market. Every single product that we've added onto our store has been very related. Okay. Uh, so we start out with handkerchiefs, then we kind of moved into table linens because we were targeting wedding planners and event planners. I want to create like an entire experience around a, a theme of products, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I found that it's really good to find products that are really good 
from a B2B perspective. So for example, like we target event planners and wedding planners with our linens, and these people come back and buy from us on a regular basis. Whereas when you target the consumer directly, it's a lot of times it's one-off sales, it's less consistent. And what's nice about B2B is that, you know, even if Amazon were to completely take over that space, we would still have those B2B customers because of the service that we can provide to them. Okay, that makes sense. So yeah, larger orders and repeat business because they're, you know, they're, they're buying for their clients. And they, those guys, they want consistency, right? You go on Amazon, you buy one thing, and then maybe a month later you buy something else. Someone else might have taken over that ASIN or whatnot, and the quality might not be consistent. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting idea, thinking of you know, what, what products to serve, uh, to serve businesses. And I, I'm thinking of like Office Depot and stuff like that, but you, you found a, a business-to-business product that's completely separate from you know, an office supply store. Yeah, and you do want to sell your own branded products for sure. Um, in the long run, at least. Okay. Versus, uh, you know, doing the so on the drop shipping side, and you know, I've asked a couple other like e-commerce people about this. Is you know, what's your take on it? Because it seems like, well, I'll just leave it. I'll leave it open-ended like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's getting harder and harder because of guys like Amazon. And in my opinion, drop shipping is really only viable these days for more expensive products that require a lot of education or complexity. So I would say stuff in the hundreds of dollars as opposed to like the little things and stuff that isn't branded and readily found on places like Amazon or eBay and that sort of thing, if that makes any sense. Um, so for example, like I have buddies that do really well drop shipping stoves, like outdoor stoves or something like that. High price point, margins are, are still kind of low, but you still make a decent amount per sale. Okay, yes, that sounds like something very expensive and, and very difficult to ship. But it, it is true. I mean, these days with, with Amazon, I, I don't know what you heard from your other interviewees, but it is getting a lot harder to do just pure drop shipping. Yeah, well, especially when it's like if you're going through somebody like Doba or like Worldwide Brands, where it's like, look, everyone has access to the exact same inventory, and it just seems like why there's, there can't be any margin in that. Well, so here's the thing about dropshipping. Like a pure dropship store might not be as viable, but oftentimes dropshipping is very helpful when you're just trying to fill out your store. So you have your core products that you're sourcing from wherever and you have really high margin products. But then, you know, sometimes it's only like a handful of products and you want to fill out your store. So using dropshipping in that respect is actually pretty viable. Okay, okay, I like that. So what's so what's next? You've got your product idea, you've got your you've got a, a source for it. And what's what's the next step? Okay, so here's the here's the route that I'm I've been kind of advising my students to go through. Um, validate their products on eBay and Amazon. So maybe you want so let's say let's assume that you're selling your own branded products and your your margins are pretty good. Yes, I'm I'm selling Nix uh, Nix State magnets. Nix State magnets. Okay, sure. So list those on Amazon. Get some sales under your belt. Make sure that there's demand for this product. And once you have that kind of base and confidence, then it's time to put up your own website. And this is the way I think about things. There are all these different marketplaces that you eventually want to tap, right? So if you have your own website, you're mainly playing in Google's marketplace. And it gives you all this flexibility to do advertising, pay-per-click advertising, which is very important. Amazon is its own marketplace. And, you know, there's some people that go just straight to Amazon for their shopping. And they, they don't really do Google searches. Yeah. And then there's like the Ebays and the Etsy's and that sort of thing. 
So get confidence in one that it's going to sell. Launch your website, and then try, and then start trying to steer everybody towards your own branded website. Okay, so you're using these marketplaces to kind of build up, you know, your systems and build up your your validation, and then you can take it take it onto your own platform. That's correct. What's been the most effective? And and we don't want to get into the technical stuff of like you know different shopping cart platforms and and you know WooCommerce and Shopify and all this stuff. But what's been the most effective way of driving traffic to that site? Because it's a lot of the sites. You know, I end up doing a lot of um, you know site audits or site reviews for people. And on the e-commerce side, they're 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 always very thin on the content, right? Where it's like just a product image and a buy button. A lot of times is what their sales page is, and they're and they're new. They're starting out. They don't have any customer reviews. They're very little. There's not a lot of meat on the page, and so I'm kind of curious what's been an effective way to drive. Uh, to drive traffic for you guys getting getting started. Yeah, so for our store, we actually use everything. And the reason for that is is I blog about it and I teach about it. So my online store is like a laboratory, yeah. right? Oh, there's a crazy, crazy amount of content related to all the different marketing strategies. I definitely recommend you guys check out um, Steve's site for that stuff. But go ahead. Yeah, so um, like I said before, 30% is is organic traffic. And for that, you're correct. These category pages and product pages don't have a lot of content. So it's up to you to create the content and kind of steer people towards your product listings. And in a way, it's it's a lot like just blogging strategy. You mm-hmm. create stuff that's related to your product that people want to read. And I'll give you an example from our site. Um, my wife puts together these arts and crafts projects for weddings that use our products. Um, so I'll, I'll just give you an example here. She created this tutorial on how to wrap your bouquet with a personalized handkerchief. And so if anyone wants to wrap their bouquet with something special, they look at this craft and then they go directly to our site to buy the, the personalized handkerchiefs. Okay, okay. Stuff like that. And that's allowed us to rank and search for a lot of things. Interesting. Pinterest is another huge avenue, especially since we're in the wedding industry. Creating like large pinnable photos. And we've been dabbling in Pinterest ads, um, which I'm not quite ready to talk about yet, but those have been doing pretty well for us so far. I've heard it's kind of the wild, wild west of, of Pinterest ads where they're very, they're very cheap right now. They're very cheap, but the platform is not that mature. So, All right. Too, yeah. too early to say. <laughs> too early to say, yeah. We use all the different cost per, uh, CPC platforms like AdWords, Google Shopping, all the comparison shopping engines, Facebook ads. That represents maybe another third. And then the last third is all the outreach that we do with like event planners and, and all the B2B stuff that I mentioned earlier. Now, are you able, well, you must be, but like my, my fear in doing pay-per-click on like how much can a, how much can a handkerchief cost? Like is it $10? Um, yeah, so our average order size is 50 bucks. Okay, okay. Um, so the way to get around that is you're correct. If you were to sell handkerchiefs onesie twosies, it would be on the order of like seven or eight bucks or whatever. Yeah. So we bundle everything. Okay, okay. And that way you can afford to do the ads. And there's different ways to bump up the average order size as well. Like there's little tricks that you can play like free shipping after a certain amount or, or whatnot. Yeah, I noticed you've got free, free shipping over $100. But it really depends on your margins. Yeah, I ran I ran AdWords for for a lot of years, and it was you know, the, the margins kept shrinking. But it was like, and and it's good on Google for doing this, right? Where it's like, hey, if this is profitable traffic, I would probably pay 
five cents more, and so would your, so would the competitor, and then so you keep bidding each other up, and then the margins all gone. But Google has lined their pockets pretty well. I mean, one thing I started using recently was Bing. Actually, I had neglected Bing for the longest time, but Bing is actually pretty awesome. Yeah, Bing traffic converts really well. It's not 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 high volume, but those, those people are buyers. So what's ironic is our volumes are only slightly lower than Google's. Wow, that's Bing, great. That's great. Which is weird. I was it was very unexpected. I mean, I wrote about this recently, but my results were pretty unexpected. Okay, <laughs> that's the cool thing about paid traffic like once you have that system in place the keywords in place it's just keep 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 uh, keep fueling the money machine you know keep the crank spinning and uh, and good things can happen i wanted to ask you know starting so this site's been around since 2007 and so we're kind of looking at almost a decade of of uh, e-commerce experience here but if you had to start this thing over and knowing what you know now Anything you do differently to kind of accelerate the learning curve, accelerate this process? That's a good question. Um, it's it's weird in my in my case since we've we've tried everything and we made a lot of mistakes, especially with product sourcing early on. So I guess if I were to start all over with product sourcing as a factor, I would not buy in bulk in the very first order. And I, I mean, I can talk about some of the mistakes that I've made. Is that kind of what you're getting at, Nick? Yeah, well, let's talk about that first order. I think that would be helpful for, for... Yeah, so we had a lot of problems with vendors early on. Like, we would ask for samples and whatnot, and they would send us these great-looking samples. And then when we made our first bulk order, they would send us crap. <laughs> like, hey, what happened to the sample? Yeah, and or uh, another time, we, we would have stuff that's just very inconsistent from order to order. Yeah. So what do you, what do, you do in that case? What do we do in that case is we complain, but it really just kind of depends on the relationship, how they're going to handle it. In the beginning, we ended up dropping some of these vendors over time, but the way we do it now is we just very gradually build up our order volume and try to be consistent. And what we do today, actually, is we try to go and physically visit all of our vendors, go out to dinner and and that sort of thing, so that we have that face-to-face connection. Ever since we've started doing that, the uh, quality of all our products have been a lot better. Yeah, having that face-to-face connection is that's awesome that you guys are able to take the trip over. You go once a year, once every couple of years. Every couple of years, yeah. I mean, it's a lot harder now that we have kids. We did go last year, though. Okay, but it's it's getting hard to do. Yeah, I've seen some pictures from Can Fair. One of my mastermind members went over there, and it's just it looks like it's nuts, <laughs> but. But that's the place to be if you if you want to start doing. It's some actually sourcing. not that bad. I mean, maybe the, for the first time, and if you've never been to China, yeah, it might seem a little bit nuts. But yeah, I think yeah, I'd probably be intimidated <laughs> by that. But that's so that's kind of a, a fear. So you you place your bulk order, and like for something like linens, what what would be a typical um, you know order quantity for somebody starting out? Oh, for someone starting out, so yeah, as you mentioned, if I were to start all over from the beginning, I would start with samples, and then once, like my first bulk order, actually our first bulk order from China was only like 200 or 300 bucks or something along oh, okay. those lines. Really, really cheap. Actually, it wasn't that high, but then the next time we followed up with like an $8,000 or $10,000 order. I can't remember exactly. Oh, wow. You guys laid down a, a, a big bet, and was that the one that was... You know, not up to your quality standards? That one was not up to our quality standards. We ended up having to throw away, I think, 30% maybe of that. I mean, our margins were high, so it was fine, right? It's not like we lost any money. But is that something like you have to just account for? Like, oh, we know we're going to have to just scrap? 
No, see, if we, if we were to do it again, we would have just gradually built up and not all of a sudden jumped to that ability. And then we probably would have just gotten to know our vendor a little bit better. That was our first time doing it, so we were making some mistakes left and right. And today we actually don't use that vendor as much anymore. Okay, so starting with samples, hey, you're inspecting the quality, you're seeing if they sell on eBay, Amazon, and then, okay, now we can get $500 order, $1,000 order, or something, like so you're not $10,000 exposed. Yeah, don't be in a huge hurry to like ramp up. I, I know a lot of people get impatient, and, and I'm that way at some time. What you can also do is you can actually hire a third-party inspection person to go through your goods before they're actually shipped to you. And, you know, it's actually not that expensive, depending on the size of your order. Uh, so that's one thing you can do if you want to be extra careful. Okay. And so t- today, all the stuff gets shipped to your office in, in Silicon Valley? Yes, that's correct. And the team there, you know, handles orders and, and ships them out, or is there a separate off-site, like, fulfillment center? No, it's all shipped out of that office. Okay, okay. It's not a huge operation, Nick. <laughs> well, I mean, but it's a serious, I mean, this is a pretty serious business. I'm, I'm impressed with it. Yeah, so everything goes out of that office, and we've got uh, three industrial embroidery machines where we do personalization. You find the personalization has, has pretty good margin in there? or? Oh, yeah, that's, that's our hugest margin product is the personalization. People are willing to pay a lot for customization of any kind. What's nice about that also is that it's really hard to do personalization on Amazon. So that's right now that's one area where you know we can shine and Amazon can't take that away from us. Because FBA is obviously not going to do personalization, right? Absolutely not. Well, maybe someday they will, but, but maybe someday. Can... But it's a huge undertaking. Yeah. Okay. Now that's an inter- that's a good a good point of differentiation. Um, <laughs> I know we're we're like only scratching the surface of this stuff, but this is uh, this is just a fascinating business. And and obviously, like I had one question down, you know, to ask if this is a viable side hustle, but it clearly is. Now you have, you said you have two full time team members, um, you know, plus your wife's time and yours working on this. But um, <laughs> like, so today, like, what is what's your you know time spent on the site look like? You know, what are you what are you spending your hours on in terms of you know upkeep and maintenance and growth for the for the business? Yeah, so I mean, my wife does most of that. So I, I rarely get involved unless something technical needs to be involved. Okay. Uh, I run all of the marketing and the pay-per-click stuff. And like I said, it's our laboratory. Mm-hmm. So I run all that stuff. But in terms of just the day-to-day, my wife and the employees kind of handle that. Okay, okay. And at the beginning, it was all you guys all the time? At the, yeah, in the beginning, it was actually in our house. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was all us all the time for that first year for sure. Interesting stuff. And then, so tell me about, you know, the, the My Wife Quitter Job project and all the stuff that's going on over there. This is like a completely separate side hustle business that you said is on track to do several hundred thousand dollars this year. What's the main, what's the main bit driver over there? Um, I mean, it's, it's mainly just a way for me to get my name out there. And it was just kind of my backup plan. Like in case I wanted to not work at my full-time job anymore, I would have that there. And so I basically just started documenting everything that we did with our e-commerce store, what works, what doesn't. So whenever I try something new, I write about it there. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is people started asking me for you know, tutorials and, and that sort of thing. And so I kept getting asked questions and questions and questions, so I finally decided to launch an info product teaching people how to do this stuff as well. Yeah. So, th- so those I kind of lumped together, but the blog kind of feeds customers over to the class as well. 
Yeah, it's one, I just got finished reading Nathan Berry's book uh, called Authority, and it's like, hey, there's a there's a difference between people who are like excellent at what they do and the people who are excellent at what they do and teach it to others, right? And it's like it opens up a completely new channel, and I think that's that's awesome with what you with what you built over there. Cool, thanks, Steve. Thanks so much for joining me, everyone. It's mywifequitterjob.com. Tons of amazing content. But let's wrap things up with your number one tip for side hustle nation. In terms of just starting a side hustle, it doesn't really matter what you want to do. I think it's more important just to start putting out content in some in some way. Get your name out there. Start collecting email addresses. Even if you have no idea what you want to do, just start doing that, and then you can figure everything out <laughs> later on. Fair enough, man. That's, that's all Side Hustle Nation is, <laughs> putting yeah. out content. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thanks so much, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Nick. So inter- interesting conversation with here with uh, with Steve here, right? A couple things that stood out to me. First was the pattern of going after business customers. I had no idea this was part of their part of their operation at Bumblebee Linens. Very similar to what Travis talked about with uh, with B Dancewear in episode one sixteen. If you recall that conversation, he was targeting you know a very consumer facing site in appearance, right? It was target you know like I sell dancewear. But hey, so our primary customer is dance studio owners and costume designers for these shows and stuff. So I thought that like, I'm and we talked about this on the show. I think of business to business as like I'm selling office supplies, but there are um, a ton of different industries and niches to support with with other products like like Steve's done, like Travis has done. The second thing that stood out was the idea of just starting small, you know, getting some samples, validating that market, and then scaling up as you're comfortable. Like with any other side hustle, it's the same it's the same strategy. Don't don't make a bet you can't afford to lose. Start small and scale that thing up as you're as you're ready to do so. All the notes and highlights from this episode with Steve are available in a free PDF download at sidehustlenation.com slash one twenty eight. And also, I'm excited to share, uh, again, that the Side Hustle Show has been selected as a launch partner for Jabbercast, really slick new podcast player app with, uh, with a beautiful interface and enhanced content surrounding each episode. So if you hit up shs.jabbercast.com, SHS for Side Hustle Show, you'll be able to load in the Side Hustle Show plus all your other favorite podcasts. And you can even tweet me up directly from within the app. Let me know what you think. Sorry, Android people, I think it's iOS only at this time, but uh, Google Play app is coming. So uh, stay tuned for that, shs.jabbercast.com. I'll see you in there. Thank you guys so much for listening. Tons of great stuff coming up, so stay tuned. And in the meantime, let's go out there, make something happen. And I'll see you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com. 